0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. Our senior pastor, Dean Hunter, shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come. Let's listen in. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in 1 John chapter number 3. We've been in first John for a few weeks now. Come to a portion of scripture in John's letter to the church that is potentially controversial, but biblically pretty clear. John is writing to believers who have been affected by false teachers. They're surrounded by false teachers. They've been influenced by false teachers. Therefore, there are some false professors among them. We've already looked at the verse where he points this out and says, they came out from us, but they were not of us. Last week, we looked at the reality of God's love for us that we as believers have a new family we're children of God and because we're children of God we have the hope of salvation the hope of an eternity with him we should purify ourselves we should that's the word there in verse three continue to cleanse ourselves with scripture, with prayer, with fellowship in the church. We should live in a manner that is pleasing to God. I'll go a step further and say we should have a sincere desire to live in a manner pleasing to God. I'm going to throw in a key word here. Our lifestyle should be a lifestyle that manifest the reality that we are pleasing to God. And Here in verses 4 through 10, John writes, as I said earlier, very clearly. He leaves no room for conversation as to what does he really mean. John talks about, John teaches, The relationship between the believer and sin. Now it's hard for me to preach this in the time I have left when we just finished a couple chapters in Romans on Wednesday night. It would save about 12 minutes of preaching if all of you were here on Wednesday night, but I know some of you have prior engagements. But let me just kind of give a synopsis of a reality that helps us in the text that we're about to read. When Paul is talking about the grace of God that has been provided for the believer, grace in which he has saved us positionally, is saving us progressively as we grow closer and closer to his likeness in light of our glorification, one day. which This will help us all for the next 40-ish minutes. If we'll all look around, don't have to look physically and, and acknowledge that none of us are seated in our glorified bodies. None of us participated in life this week in a glorified state. And if you think you did, This one's just for you. (laughs) Paul teaches very clearly that believers have been changed, we've been sanctified, we have been separated, but yet we still battle two natures. We have the Spirit of God living within us, and we have this old Adamic nature of the flesh on the exterior. And he says, and this is somewhere in my notes, so if I say it again, wave your hand and I'll stop. He says, him personally, the Apostle Paul, who wrote nearly two-thirds of the New Testament, he said himself, the things that I know I should do, I find myself not doing. And the things I know I shouldn't do, I find myself doing. And in Romans chapter 7, He makes it pretty clear that none of us are perfect yet. Y'all see how everything just kind of fizzles when I start talking about our sin? (laughs) Amen, brother, I'm a sinner. No, No. And here in 1 John chapter 3, John writes to a church, to believers, that's us, who have been and are being affected by false teachers. Church, that's us about the relationship between sin and the saint. What Paul teaches, John's going to underline and highlight. When Paul taught the, the message of grace, and that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound, what was one of the responses? Oh, so we can just sin that grace may abound? And Paul's response was, "God forbid." It's the strongest negative in the Greek language. Let it not be so." Kind of furthermore, in the English, don't even let that thought enter your mind. A true believer, keeping true to our series, an authentic Christian does not want to sin. It's just 11:22. A true believer does not want to break the commandments of God. But a true believer will still sin. And Paul discusses that in Romans. And here John teaches a valuable or invaluable lesson to all of us who are truly born again and he makes a clear distinguishment between those who are and those who are not. So let's stand as we honor God's word. This is the truth. That's why we bring it with us to church. That's why we read it during the week. That's why we study it. That's why we preach it. That's why we live by it, because it is truth all Scripture, given by inspiration of God. Verse 4, Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him Jesus is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, and whosoever sinneth "...has not seen him, neither known him." Little children, believers, family of God, "...let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous, even as he, Jesus, is righteous. He that commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil." Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed, God's seed, remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest. This is how children of God are made known. And this is also how the children of the devil are made known, he says. Whoever does not righteousness is not of God. Neither is he that loves not his brother. Father, thank you for your word. Bless it. Allow us to discipline ourselves to hear from you. A room full of believers that needs to know, needs to be reminded, our relationship towards sin. May we not just be hearers, But doers, striving to purify ourselves, be more like you, knowing that the day of your return is closer than ever before. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I said earlier, John is going to teach us the relationship between sin, and the saint. The first thing I want us to look at is John provides a definition of sin. He makes a pronouncement of sin, what sin is and what it looks like in a person's life. In verse number four, he says, whoever commits sin transgresses or violates also the law For sin is the transgression of the law First thing I want us to know want us to be reminded of if you already know And you have to believe me That if we grasp point number one It makes the rest of this much easier to understand and apply Paul, get, John gives us a definition of sin in verse 4 He says, for sin is the transgression of the law. To transgress means to violate. It means to go beyond a boundary. God's laws are boundaries that we are not to go outside of. Some of you may have a different translation or if you've got a good study Bible that will say that sin is lawlessness lawlessness simply means not constrained by the law later we'll see that to live lawlessly means to live as if there is no law now we don't have to look very far to see some practical definitions of what that looks like in cities around our country but we'll digress and not go there the reality is a believer does not live as if there is no law So therefore, sin in itself, the object of sin, is lawlessness, not restrained or uncontrolled. So these boundaries, these laws that God has established, are important for us to understand. By the way, God's laws are not just the Ten Commandments. There are far more to the Mosaic law and the Old Testament law than just ten. God's laws, furthermore, even in the New Testament, are anything God says to do or says not to do. So breaking God's law is doing anything God said not to do or not doing anything God said to do. We'll see that a little bit here in a second. But there's two truths about this, about the law of God that we need to understand. And, and I, 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 some of you know my mind and kind of, which is sad that you do, but it's very difficult not to go in a lot of ways today, and I'm trying not to really hard already. We understand in the New Testament two real simple truths about the law, and I say this to a, to a Baptist crowd, a conservative Baptist church who probably no one would object to anything that I would teach scripturally about the law, but because we live in the generation we live in, it's important for us to establish some important truths about the law. There happen to be a few Baptist preachers or preachers in general who claim to believe the Bible that don't think the law has anything to do with us anymore. So I'll just move on and say there's two points that we need to understand about the law. Number one, the law of God is holy, is holy, has always been holy, and will continue to be holy. Yeah. Yeah. Paul said in Romans 7, 12, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. The law is holy. The law is good. The law is there for us. So not only is the law holy, it's important for us, especially in the New Testament church, to understand that the law is also helpful. That's a very elementary word, but it had an H with it to go with holy, so it are going to say Helpful. How was the law helpful? Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, "Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith." The law helped us understand it was necessary for us to understand our need for salvation. Paul teaches very clearly that the law never was never given to save us but to establish our need for salvation. We, we look at the law of God and understand it's holy, and we say there is no way we can please God. Now, y'all are looking at me like you should have been here for Romans chapter 7 on Wednesday night. I'm going to tell you, in, in the culture we live in today, and I, I hope I'm not preaching to a new culture this morning and something happened this week other than the weather changing, people don't like to be told you can't please God and we can't because pleasing God means keeping the law and the most spiritual pious pope thinking person in here can't do it no matter how good you look today and how well your hair turned out we can't the law is of God the law is holy. God is holy. I'm not. Therefore, I can't keep it in and of myself. and You can't either. God's laws extend past these Ten Commandments. I said that earlier, and in the New Testament, Jesus gave some, some laws. We might not have heard them as laws, but he kind of told the religious folks, those people looking at him like some of y'all are looking at me right now, he said, you've heard it said of old, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, he who hates his brother without cause is in danger of the judgment. And I sense some of you coming back, but, I, but without cause. I hate them with cause, so I'm good. I'm... He said also in Matthew 5, you've heard an old time, oh, this is a good one, that's rednecks love this one. We don't. That's, that's sarcasm. Jesus said, you've heard it of old time, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. There's probably a good Rowan County resident here this week that said that sometime. I'm going to get them what they gave me. Get them what they deserve. And Jesus said, you heard it in old time. You've heard the law say, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, if a guy hits you on the left side, oh, this is a fun one turn around and give them the other side. Y'all won't believe me? I just saw a head shake in here. (laughs) That's proof that we're not there yet. Look at the preacher when he quotes Scripture and goes. Now, I don't think they were disagreeing with me. I think what I heard them say with their head shake was, that's hard to do. We'll just let that resonate for a second and you think of how you will participate in that event and then we'll move on to the next point you ready so what john is saying here is that practicing sin is lawlessness or acting as if there is no law to violate so here brings us to the first part yeah i went to the definition first but notice the first part of verse four and this is really really important for us to understand if you've never read this before never heard this before never studied this before it's really important to understand because it sounds as if john is saying that a a person who sins does not know god and some of you are saying well that's what i thought i read it's really important to understand the language here he says whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law to commit sin in the Greek language, and this is not argued by anybody but a devil, by the way. To commit sin here is the Greek progressive present, which means a person who continuously and habitually practices sin. So a person, therefore, who continually, habitually Practices sin as a lifestyle, is who he is talking about. This person is known by their lifestyle of sin. This is who John is talking about. This is who John is pointing out to say whether they are or are not an authentic Christian. He's not talking about a Christian who sins. And if anybody's unclear on that, there's a couple ways we know that's not what he's saying. First of all, you don't even have to open this book, right, to know he's not saying Christians don't sin. Look around at all the sinners here today. I was reading behind this pastor who said, and I've heard it before, that he asked one day, he's like, "Uh, how many of you told a lie this week? Now, I'm not asking you to do it. Please don't raise your hand. I could probably point you out. But no, so how many of you told a lie? And they're like, just even a little white lie. And the hands went up all over. And then he was like, uh, how many of you have ever kind of, and he said some things like, didn't fully disclose all of the information on, to the IRS or something like that. And it was a visiting preacher and people were like raising their hand or whatever. I don't know what. He's like, And he took to the pastor, said, We got a bunch of thieves and liars in here today. The reality is, that's strong language, so I'll just say we've got a bunch of sinners in here today. And I know there's somebody in here saying, yeah, but I'm just a sinner saved by grace, and, and I hope you are. But the reality is, just by human nature, we know Paul's not, John's not saying that a Christian doesn't sin. We also know, not just by human nature, we know by his writings already that he's not saying that a Christian doesn't sin. We also know by Paul's writings that he's not saying a Christian doesn't sin. Why would the same writer write in chapter 3 that a Christian never sins when he just told us in chapters 1 and 2 that you shouldn't sin, but when you do, you have an advocate with the Father. And you have an advocate, and when you do sin, then confess your sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive. In the same letter. It would be quite silly for him to say, um, Hey, uh, you shouldn't want to sin, but when you do, you have an advocate. Amen, brother. Uh, and the advocate is who you go to, and um, he'll forgive your sins if you confess. He's faithful and just to do that, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then, chapter three, him go completely brain dead and say, Hey, by the way, Christians never sin. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying, according to the Greek language, is a Christian does not live a habitual lifestyle of sin. That's what he says. That's what God says. That's really important for us to understand. The person who is practicing sin, uh, maybe a, a better English translation is, everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. He's not preaching, he's not teaching, and we're not preaching and teaching sinless perfection. No way, no how, nowhere in Scripture does he teach or does God teach sinless perfection of the believer. Adrian Rogers said it's, um, what was this quote? It's one thing to believe the gospel, but it's another thing altogether to behave the gospel. And as Christians, we ought to be not just believers of the gospel. We ought to be living the gospel. We ought to be um, doing or behaving the gospel. Our lifestyle as a Christian ought to be habitually practicing, continually, continuously practicing righteousness. And I just skipped seven verses and got there. My little children, he said in First John two, I've written these things unto you that you sin not. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. A Christian, an authentic Christian, cannot practice sin habitually because it is incompatible with the law of God that we are to love. We love His law. It is holy. It is right. It is good. Y'all just looked at me like, this is the word of God. Amen. This is the word of God. Now we're going to cover some of your questions here. Probably by one o'clock we'll get to the place you want us to be. John is clear. He gives a pronouncement of sin. He defines sin, what it looks like. But then we notice in verse five, beginning in verse five, not the pronouncement of sin, but the provision for sin. Because we know that we that sin exists. We know that the Christian will still sin. John says in verse five, and you know that he was manifest, Jesus was manifest, he was made known, he was brought to life, he was made clear to you to take away our sins. And that's where every born-again Christian, at least somewhere in the innards of their being, should say, thank God. Jesus was manifest to take away our sins. John says that the provision for sin was manifest in Jesus to take away the price for sin. It's very clear in Scripture. From the day Adam and Eve sinned, there was a price for sin. In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. There is, there has been, and always will be a price for sin. Paul said the wages, the price for sin is death. Here John says, but Jesus was manifest. God incarnate in Christ was manifest. He was brought here to earth to take away our sins. Amen. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Later, he says, he was, his purpose was to take away the works of the devil. What's the works of the devil? Sin. He's been a sinner from the beginning, a liar from the beginning. And thank God he came, Jesus came, to take away the price to take away our sins, to pay the price for our sins, 750 years before Jesus was ever born in Bethlehem, the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah chapter 53 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquities of us all. And I can't help but think that a young cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, had read, his mom had read him a bedtime story from Isaiah. Hey, he's coming. The Messiah's coming. Little John, the Messiah is coming. He's going to come and the the iniquities of us all will be laid on him. And then in John chapter 1, little John has grown up and he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. And he's preaching repentance. And he's saying, hey, there's one coming who I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes or untie his shoes and he'll baptize with fire. I'm just baptizing with water. And he was preaching this Messiah that his mom and his grandma had taught him out of Isaiah chapter 53. And then one day he's baptizing and here comes Jesus. The one that was manifest to take away our sins. And what does John say? Hey, stop the press. Behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Jesus was the provision for the price of our sins. And John throws in, by the way, and he's perfect. He's holy. He was without sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that you and I might be made known the righteousness of God. Pretty important, the provision for the price of sin But quite honestly, the rest of this passage is talking about the provision that was made for the practice of sin. Christians still sin, but Christians do not habitually practice a lifestyle of sin. Anybody heard me say that yet? Verse number six, whoever abides in him, Sinneth not. Same wording there. I want to draw your attention. We heard about abiding a couple weeks ago. The provision for sin, the price of sin was paid by Jesus, but God has given us provisions to keep us from practicing sin. I don't know if I'm looking at confused people, intrigued people, hungry people, cold people, or what. I hope it's intrigued. This is essential for a believer to understand the truth of God's Word. We do sin. We don't want to sin. But we do sin. And when we do sin, we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive. But an authentic Christian A true believer does not practice a lifestyle of sin. John is making it very clear. And he uses the word as He's already talked about abiding in him, which means to remain in him. Anybody remember that? Look at me like you remain, and I won't have to, like you remember, and I won't have to preach it again. Abide in him. Remain in him. Stay with him. And he uses the same word there to contrast the staying with, or the abiding with, sin. The one who continues in him will not continue in sin. So the provision for keeping a believer from falling into a lifestyle of sin is to abide in him. We remain in him instead of remaining in sin. And a true believer will remain in him and not remain in sin. I wish that rhymed. And that's what he's saying. Who doesn't continue? The question is: who is it that doesn't continue in sin? The person who abides in Christ sinneth not. He remains, continues in him. In 1 John 2:28. Just a couple weeks ago, John says, and now little children, abide in him, that in the last day when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. He goes on in the latter part of verse six. Once again, there's no gray area here with John. Whoever sinneth continues in sin. Whoever continues in sin, what does he say in verse six, "Last part has not seen him, neither known him." We have to be careful in the church, and I've, I've been in church a while, and I've been in the pastor role a while. It's bad when the vibration's as loud as a ringtone, isn't it? You ever hear that? I don't know which one I'd rather hear some music. Um, we have to be really careful, and I've said this before, and, I've, and I mean it. I mean it. And we don't want to believe that a, fa- a family or a friend is lost and going to hell. Well, he got saved when he was young. He was in church. She was in church. But y'all pray for them, they're just living in sin. You ever heard anything like that? We have to be very careful with the words we use. And quite honestly, the theology we use. And I know we might not mean living in sin when we say living in sin, but they're living in sin. And there's a fine, fine line between living in sin as a believer. I don't even like to say that based on what I've just read and preached. And just being truly lost. I've said it before. I've heard it before. You've heard it. we prayed for a lot of people to get back in church when they just really need to be saved. Be careful talking about that family member or that friend. They're they're good. They got saved. I remember the youth camp they got saved in. but, But pray for them. They're just living in sin. The Word of God teaches that a believer, a true believer, does not live in sin. They do not practice habitually sin. Their lifestyle, their life is not identified by sin. It's clear. John says those who live in sin have never known Jesus. And this leads right into verse 7. I'm not I feel like I'm preaching something that nobody's ever heard or either you're so bored with it, it's just like, I know this already. I don't know. But I feel like it's a lot of people that haven't heard this before. Because there's a lot of Christians in churches, there's a lot of professing believers in churches all over America who don't live like they've heard this before. And there may be a few in this room. And I guarantee you there's a few watching. And I guarantee you there's a few that will hear about it and will watch it to see what I said. But fortunately, I'm not up here sharing my opinion, nor the opinion of the Baptist church. I'm up here sharing the truth of God's Word. And not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father. He who lives righteously. He who has a lifestyle that is identified by righteous living. i just preached the rest of the sermon. Let's go home. <laughs> Verse 7, because of the truth that's been revealed, church, let no man deceive you. Let nobody deceive you. Remember, he's writing to a bunch of people that are being um, affected by deceivers. Don't let anybody deceive you, church. He that does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous, Jesus. Why would John say, don't let anybody deceive you? Well, you know the answer, because people were deceiving. But all Scripture is relevant for today. It's applicable for today. And the reality is, there are still deceivers false teachers who are trying to muddy the waters, soften the lines to deceive people. And unfortunately, I don't believe some of them intentionally want to deceive. I believe many of them are being deceived by the deceiver and therefore they're deceiving the believers. I didn't write that down. Anybody catch that? It might might be good for later. I believe there are some that are possessed by the devil who are intentionally deceiving. And I think there are some that are so clueless about their Bible and doctrine and theology and more concerned about a crowd and everybody having fun and hanging out and holding hands and sipping coffee that they just say whatever sounds right. right. And quite honestly, you get less people mad at you when you do that. And I'm not just talking about the preacher. I'm talking about the Christian at work. I'm talking about the Christian at school. But don't be deceived, he says. Why would he say don't be deceived? Because there are people deceiving. If this statement is true, then the converse must also be true. He who doesn't practice righteousness is unrighteous. He who is living a lifestyle that is not righteous is unrighteous. That seems so clear. There is no greater, more obvious picture, and please, please, don't, please, don't check out when I say this, because I'm going somewhere with it. There is no more obvious sin, or lifestyle of sin, or more obviously talked about, discussed, Argued lifestyle of sin in America today than the homosexual movement. Now, don't don't get ahead of me. Don't start amen and barking too much because we're going to cover some other sins there in a second. But it is prevalent in this country and under, and for some reason, I, I know the reasons. But it's being allowed to prevail in too many so-called Bible-believing churches. I'll be the first to say, and I've said this before, and if you take it out of context, you're of the devil and you're doing it on your own. God knows my heart and I've spoken truth and been transparent about these issues Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesdays and out in the hallways. There should be no person to come into this building and feel unwelcomed. I need about 17 more of you to say amen to that or I'm going to keep saying it until I feel like there's a unity. There should be no person walk into the doors of this church and feel unwelcome. That doing any better. But that doesn't mean that when the scripture is opened and the word of God is preached that they'll still feel comfortable. That goes for some people sitting in here today. Man, they shook my hand and gave me a bulletin when I went in. And now I just don't feel so good. (laughs) Feel a little uncomfortable right now. that's because the word of God is sharp. And it cuts both ways. And sometimes we limp out of here with toes being stepped on. There, we have conversations today. Oh, why is that clock up there? We have conversations today that shouldn't even be a part of a conversation in a church where we're even questioning whether homosexuality is a sin. And I understand, and I can't, I can't, just, I can't just hang out here, but let me tell you that the Scripture is clear that it is a sin, as well as some other sins that Scripture clearly identifies. But we're we're making a point with a lifestyle lived here, which is very prevalent and very visible in America and in the church. Leviticus 18. Oh, he's using Old Testament. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. If a man also lie with mankind as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Oh, two different dirt roads right there. I could just throw a couple things out. Um, uh, I'm not going to do it. Romans 1. Paul's talking about continuous lifestyles of sin. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men, working with that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Anybody remember us talking about 30 minutes ago about the laws of God? They're holy, they're good, they're right. They're boundaries that God has put in place that a born-again Christian should not go outside of. Hold on. But we can. We can go outside of those boundaries. We can break those laws. But we don't stay outside the boundaries. We don't live outside the boundaries. One of my good friends, Jay Vernon McGee, he's not, he's dead, but I like to read him. I feel like we're sitting beside each other. I feel, I feel like we're kindred spirits. I wouldn't say half the stuff he says in a church service, but he was a, he could go and say things and get by with it and leave and go to the next church. <laughs> he said, pig pens were made for pigs. <laughs> but a son can find himself in the pig pen. like the prodigal. prodigal messed up. He sinned against God. He sinned against his dad. He sinned against his family. And he wound up in a pig pen. But he didn't stay. The Bible says he came to himself. He came to some senses. And I can't help but believe he heard some words from the father that he said, hey, if, if I don't want you to sin, son, You shouldn't want to sin, son, but when you do sin, son, come to me, your father, and I'll forgive you. Am I making the connection? And I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There's no greater picture of the love of God the Father than the prodigal son and his dad when he woke up in the pig pen, said, I don't need to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. The pig pen's made for pigs, not for sons, and I'm going back to my father's house. But he found himself in the pig pen. And a Christian can find him or herself in sin. But a true, authentic born again child of God won't waller around in it and adapt their lifestyle to the dirty pig he'll wake up she'll wake up and say you know I've been washed I've been born again I'm a new creation I don't belong here and they'll go back to the father and they'll come clean with the father and by following and they'll say father I have sinned and I'm unworthy of your graces of your riches I'm sorry. And he'll say, I've been waiting on you. Kind of got a party ready. We're going to celebrate that the son has come home. That's a life of a truly born-again Christian who finds themselves in sin. Okay, why are you using that one? It's prevalent. We can see it. I quoted a couple verses. I read a couple verses. Paul John says, Don't be deceived, church. Well, how would I be deceived? You get on your phone, you get on your TV, you get on your radio, you get on your podcast and you listen to some people today who have authority and have influence over thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And Andy Stanley, the son of the late, great Charles Stanley. I'm not making it up. I played it on a Wednesday night, the video you can watch, where he's talking about homosexuality and Christian gays in the church with a heart to serve God. And he says to Leviticus and to Romans, he uses the phrase, he says this, I know all the clobber passages. That's what he says. That's the words he uses. A man who is leading astray, leading thousands upon thousands of a generation that will make up the next generation of leaders in the church and in our country and in the workplace standing before them, deceiving them that it's all right to be Christian and gay. You can be Christian and gay. You can serve in the church as Christian and gay. You can have the faith of a gay that's more than the pastor, he says. He says it and uses the word of God, the law of God that is holy and right that we should love and says they're clobber passages and say, I know all the clobber passages? Then again, he doesn't believe the Old Testament is relevant for today, so he just gets rid of that one. That's an example. And he's not the only one. And I'm out of time, so I can't keep going. But a major biblical denomination in our country, and matter of fact, universally, The United Methodists just had a vote and are splitting churches left and right, having to make major decisions because they think it's all right for men to marry men and women to marry women and to be leaders in the church. But the biblical portion that believes Scripture is true saying, uh uh, we can't do that. We got to back out. Even if it means paying for our building, paying for our property, we're gonna stand with the word of God. It's 2023. And they're still deceiving like they were in John's day. And guess what? If we live to, well, I won't, but if anybody's here at 21, 23, it'll still be happening. And John warns. He so don't be deceived. There's a bunch of deceivers out there. His final lesson here. By the way, there are other sins. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. I would, have, I would not have slept well tonight if I forgot this. Throw this verse up here. We need to see this verse. Do you not know, Paul said, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? What's he saying? Those who practice unrighteousness, those who live a lifestyle of unrighteousness, that covers a multitude of unrighteous folks. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. Yeah. He does not say, and he is not saying with John, that a Christian can't become a thief. Or let me, can't steal something. A Christian can steal something. Probably many of you. You didn't steal from Macy's. I hope not. You got that big ink blot. Like, no, that's part of the pattern. That's how it works. Anyway. Um, you, but you might have stole something small. You might not have paid for something. Or whatever. Christian can do that. Christian can cheat on his or her taxes. And it's a sin. Even if you think they took too much out. And I do. Especially to send somewhere, I don't think we should send it, but that's a different story. Still a sin to cheat on taxes. Still a sin to lie. Still a sin to extortion. It's still a sin to cheat somebody. Unless it's monopoly or cards, that's all right. It's it's, it's It's a sin to cheat people. And a Christian can sin and cheat people, but a Christian does not live a cheater lifestyle. A Christian does not live an extortioner lifestyle. A Christian is not known in the community as the thief. And that's what he's saying. But I know the rest of the verse, and you do too. Verse 11. And such were some of us, although in us. We were that way. We had the proclivity to sin. We had the proclivity, some of us, for this more than that one, or that one more than this one, but such were some of you, but you were in the pig pen, but you were washed. You're sanctified, set apart, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We figured out that people follow their master. Y'all figured that out? People follow their master. I read about a group of men sitting on the front porch, probably talking about their wives or the weather. And they all three had dogs. And all their dogs were sitting by their feet. And one by one, every man that got up, only his dog followed him. I got a couple of those. And it's a true principle as old as time. A person will follow their master. And he goes on, and I'm winding down. We don't have service tonight, so relax. And he basically says, and I'll call it the proof of a saint there's only two families, there's only two possibilities. You're only following one of two people or two groups. Or in this case, God or the devil. You're either in the family of God or you're in the family of the devil. We got people in church today scared to talk about the devil, wondering if there really even is one. And Jesus talked about Satan dealt with Satan one-on-one. And we got church members don't want to believe Satan exists. And here John says, and I say this often, I think God's Word is very clear. There's only two types of people, lost and saved. Born again and not born again. Born twice and born once. Going to heaven, going to hell. And here he says, they're either of their father, the devil, or they're in the family of God. The proof is in this, the children of God, that's you and I that say we're born again, are manifest. How do you become a, a child of God? It was the last part of the last point. We've been born again, and his seed remains in us. I'm talking about the provision, the ability to avoid a lifestyle of sin, church, we have that ability. Because the seed that remaineth in us, we've got a new birth. The seed of God remaineth in us. We are not God, but his spirit dwelleth within us and gives us power to avoid the sinful lifestyle. His seed remains in you. Peter said, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. This is how children of God are manifest, and this is how the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not righteousness, whoever practices not righteousness is not of God, not of the family of God, not born again, not half in, half out, not think so, might be, they are not of the family of God, those who practice unrighteousness. But yet, those who are children of God are those who practice righteousness. Would you pray with me? Every person in this room, every person watching, They're a part of a family, only one of two families. They're in the family of God because they've been born of God, or they're in the family of the devil, their father, the devil, because they've never been born a second birth, a new birth. As John told, as Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. From the youngest one in here to the oldest one in here, church, people sitting in pews today. You are only in one of those two families. You either know that you know that you're born again, you've been born of the Spirit, the Spirit of God dwells within you and gives you the power to avoid a lifestyle of sin. Or you're lost, you've never been born again, you don't have the power, the seed of God, the Word of God dwelling within you to keep you from it, and you are living a lifestyle of sin you say well I'm not living a lifestyle of any of those particular sins no you're living a lifestyle of unrighteousness which is sin in and of itself and no unrighteous shall inherit the kingdom of God the invitation is pretty clear if you've never been born again you're not in the family of God the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved Trust in Jesus, the provision for the price of our sin. He paid the price. He died for you so that we could live for him. If you've never trusted him as your savior, that means you've never by faith believed the word of God teaches you're a sinner. The word of God teaches that you're in need of a savior. The word of God teaches that if you call on him, he'll save you. You can do that today. If you're new to church, new to the gospel, and you say, I don't have a clue what that means, I believe it means you can call on him right now. Humility of your heart, pray to him. Maybe you say, God, I've never prayed before, but this is the first time, here it goes. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe what that crazy man was preaching, that your word is true, and that you love me, and you gave your son to pay my sin debt on the cross. And I trust in you as my savior make you Lord of my life. I want to live for you. The Bible says, you do that, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Christian, child of God that you know it. These things have I written unto you that you may know, that you know, that you know, John says. Is your lifestyle, is my lifestyle a lifestyle of righteousness or unrighteousness? Are we finding ourselves tempted by certain sins that could lead us down a road to a pig pen? We call on Him. We confess our sin. In a room this size with this many people, there's probably a Christian. You've been falling into some sin. And maybe for some reason you've been hesitant to come back to the Father. You're not living a lifestyle. Your lifestyle's not characterized. It might not even anybody know about it, but you. And maybe today's the day that you're reminded or see for the first time a God who's a father sitting on the front porch waiting on you to come back. not to put you down, not to tell you how bad you are and how disappointed he is, but to put his arms around you. So I've been waiting to hear your voice, waiting to hear you say, I'm sorry, waiting to tell you you're forgiven. Would you stand with me? Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbccannapolis.com.